Hello and welcome back for another Learn With Sue Walk and Talk podcast. My name is Sue Langley and this is the place where we walk and talk with about all things emotions, positive psychology and neuroscience to help us be the best we can be. And today I thought we would focus on learned optimism. Um, a couple of months ago, there was an article that came out that started debunked learned helplessness, a theory developed from a cruel animal experiment. And the article was factually correct. Um, but what was really interesting, it came about four years, uh, six years probably actually, after um, the paper that actually said, well, not debunked, but actually next steps. So I thought this would be a useful um, useful topic for us to have a conversation about. So some of you may be aware that um, learned optimism, uh, a theory that came from Stephen Mayer and Martin Seligman, that uh, did start with a little bit of cruelty that uh, Martin Seligman admits he certainly uh, regrets doing and certainly wouldn't be allowed today. Um, but basically dogs were put in cages and they were electric shock was passed through under their paws and some of the dogs were able to stop the shocks um, by uh, putting their nose on a lever and some people some dogs didn't and basically the theory of learned helplessness was born in that when the dogs were moved into a position um, where they could then stop the shocks, those that had learnt that they couldn't, if you like, learned helplessness, uh, no longer bothered trying. So it was basically like they gave up. And uh, learned optimism or learned helplessness as it started was really about the fact that Sometimes we learn to be helpless, as in no matter what we try, we don't feel we can make a difference, so we give up trying. And obviously it started uh, with dogs, but um, did go on to look at uh, human beings and why some human beings seem to keep going and um, still keep getting up and still keep trying new things during adversity and some people learn to be passive. And it also linked that passivity to then potential uh, mental health challenges. So for instance, um, depression, etc. when we feel like we become um, passive or defensive or uh, we actually, as I say, give up trying. Now, what was really interesting is, as I say, it started with learned helplessness and then moved into learned optimism. And some of you may be familiar uh, with the idea of learned optimism then being explored as in how do we teach ourselves to be more optimistic? How do we explore more optimistic thinking? How do we as human beings challenge our thinking so that we can um, still keep getting up? We can still handle adversive events, if you like. And what's really lovely is that theory turned into helping us understand the different dimensions that we use to understand the world, such as uh, permanence, as in how permanent do we see either a good thing or a, an, an adverse event. Um, so do we see an adverse event as permanent or temporary? Uh, pervasiveness. So how much of my life is impacted by this event, whether it's a positive event or a challenging event? Um, is it my whole life that's impacted or is it just a small portion of my life? And then the third dimension was uh, talked about as personalization or basically how much is it personal to me? How much is it my fault, if you like, if it's something bad or my credit, if it's something good um, compared to how much is it due to circumstances or external stimuli or other people, etc. So that was the original theory and Mudd and Seligman's book, Learned Helplessness, um, sorry, Learned 
optimism was built out of this defining helplessness and then defining optimism. And uh, again, you have to remember the purpose of a, of a researcher is really to define and operationalize. That's, that's the whole point of research is to opera, operationalize things so that we can perhaps learn from them, so that we can test them, so that we can change one variable and see if it impacts another variable, etc. And um, so if you look at learned optimism, personally, I think it's a brilliant, um, uh, helpful strategy, if you like, that we can all use to challenge our thinking. And if you think about uh, COVID would be a classic example. If I have a more pessimistic explanatory style, uh, and I will uh, mention that I'm deliberately using explanatory style. I'm not suggesting you are born one way or the other. We are looking at um, your thinking patterns, your thinking style, if you like, in this case. We'll get onto the neuroscience and the perhaps born with later. But let's imagine you have a more pessimistic explanatory style around COVID. You might see it as permanent, as in we're always going to have to live with it. It's always going to be here. We're always going to be back and forth into lockdown. Um, we're always going to have these challenges. Uh, pervasive, as in my whole life is impacted. My whole life's been ruined by COVID. Um, it's terrible. Uh, everything's been um, changed. And personalization, well, that's a little bit different because uh, we've actually got sort of uh, two elements of that. One is, is it me, uh, which hopefully COVID wasn't anybody listening to this, <laughs> or not me as in external. And there are pros and cons to being either side of that dimension, actually, which we'll have a look at in a moment. Um, but if you take the sort of always, never, the, the my whole life versus a bit of my life, if, you, if we use COVID from a more, or more optimistic explanatory style uh, description, we could say, okay, so uh, permanence, well, it's not always going to be like this. We've already changed over the last two years. There's lots of things that have shifted. Certain things are opening up. People are traveling again. So, well, it's not permanent. And probably within the next year or so, um, things will be as I would like them to be potentially, um, it, as far as maybe traveling and getting around, etc. So it's not really permanent. And how much has my life is impacted? Well, yeah, now I have to work from home and not doing as much face-to-face, etc. Um, but there's been lots of pros to that, as in I get to sleep in my bed, own bed every night, and I like working from home, and I exercise more now, etc. So what you're doing with the whole idea of learned optimism is you're challenging your thinking. You are certainly not trying to be Pollyanna. That's not what this is about. It's about challenging. When you hear yourself say, everything's terrible, everyone's suffering right now, well, it's just challenging and saying, is everything terrible? Or do I still have somebody that loves me? Or do I still have um, things I can do? And it comes back to then what I can control and what I can't control. So if you think about those two definitions in particular, they are useful ones to get in the practice of challenging, challenging in your mind, um, challenging, is it really your whole life? Is it really everything's awful? Is it really all my fault, etc.? So that's the sort of the purpose of that. The reason I particularly like the last dimension, which is personalization, is I think that can be empowering whichever way you end up on the scale. So let's imagine something has happened. We'll use COVID as an example. Um, on personalization, basically, if we say it's an adverse event, I'm asking myself the question, is it all me? 
or is it external to me? So if it's my fault, as in um, I created it, etc., then, well, that's not true. So there's no point blaming myself. It is external to me. Um, there are certain things that I did not have control of. So personally, I think that can be quite empowering to suddenly decide or to basically to um, consider in your mind how much is it you or not you. So let's imagine I come to the conclusion that it's not me, this adverse event, such as COVID. Well, potentially that empowers me to go, okay, well, I have no control therefore over the fact that uh, the countries went into lockdown and travel was stopped, etc. I had no control. I didn't create COVID. I didn't create the laws. But it empowers me to go, well, what can I do within those rules, within what I can do? Equally, if your adverse event, uh, you have come to the conclusion that it's all you, as in you created this adverse event by something you said or something you did or some choices you made, then again, it can actually be quite empowering because basically if you got yourself into the mess, you can get yourself out of it. So personally, I find um, learned optimism as a theory really helpful. When I first learned it, when I first read the book, when it came out many years ago, um, it was one of the tools that I embedded uh, in my brain. Uh, I actually um, slept uh, for three months with a piece of paper above my bed with the number three and the letter P on it. And uh, it was literally blue tacked on the ceiling above my bed so that when I woke up in the middle of the night, 3 a.m., stressing about something, going, oh, my God, life's terrible. Everything's awful. Everything sucks. It's all my fault. Oh, my God, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. If I woke up in the morning, then literally I would look up at my three P's, the reminder, and went, all right, Susan, is your whole life really ruined? Is it always going to be this way? And I would literally use the disputation technique where you dispute your thinking, you challenge it, you look for alternatives and implications, etc. You look for evidence. And so for me personally, the theory of learned optimism has been really helpful. Now, of course, do I like where it's come from? Definitely not. Um, would I have chosen them to do animal experiments? Absolutely not. Um, but has it led to uh, or did it lead to an important theory that was a cornerstone or has become a cornerstone of animal and human psychology? Yes. So think about that. Think about how you can use the theory. We can't go back and change what happened in the past. And I'm glad that some of these things are no longer um, being tested, certainly on dogs. Um, unfortunately, other animals are still used. Um, but we can't necessarily change what's happened, but we can change what we do with it. We can use this strategy. We can absolutely look at what we can control, what we can't. How do we challenge our thinking? Now, I only had the three Ps stuck on my ceiling for uh, for three months because my idea was how do I uh, rewire my brain, if you like, so that it becomes uh, a more of an automatic process. And I know that um, now my brain is very good at flipping my thinking when I get caught up in those, um, those sort of catastrophizing and ruminating etc my brain doesn't do that for very long it flips itself pretty quickly um, and starts challenging so it's a great strategy to use
Okay, why am I sharing this with you? Well, bear in mind, this theory came from research back in 1967. So of course it's continued since. The whole point of research is to continue, to challenge, to critique, to explore, to test, etc. And this is why I do think it's funny that um, when you see in the media about debunked um, from a paper that or a, a a piece that came out in 2022, the actual paper that was 50 years of learned helplessness um, came out in 2016, um, published by Stephen Mayer and Martin Seligman, who have been supporting other people to continue the research into learned helplessness, learned optimism, etc. Um, basically, they did a 50 year review and saying, well, what do we now know that we didn't know then? And this is where I think it gets really cool because we now have lots of information that's come from neuroscience that's really looked at what goes on in the brain when we are experiencing, whether it's learned helplessness or whether it's looking at um, learned optimism. So if you look at uh, what the neuroscience tells us, there's all sorts of really interesting things about the biological response. And the original theory um, probably got it wrong in the fact that it was called learned helplessness, um, where now the research is saying that actually it isn't learned. Helplessness is the default. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like that idea. <laughs> I don't like the idea that helplessness is the default. I still like the idea that you can learn optimism. Um, but biologically, it seems that passivity is the default. The unlearned response to prolonged aversive events, um, and it's linked to particular elements in the brain that we'll come onto in a moment, seems to be the default. I.e., if you are put in a situation where you can't escape for long enough, you will give up. The key thing for us is then the learned optimism. So rather than remaining passive, we know that it can be overcome by learning control. And with the activity of the medial prefrontal cortex, um, we can actually use our self-regulation, if you like, to challenge. And this is where the learned optimism comes in. So let's have a look at what we've learned from neuroscience. So if you think about neuroscience, what's happened is there's um, serotonin, which is a chemical in the brain, a neurotransmitter in the brain, um, seems to mediate an interesting uh, activity, if you like, um, in the dorsal raphi nucleus, um, which seems to be the area that has been explored, if you like, or found to be key when it comes to learned helplessness and learned optimism. So if we think about the neural activity, um, if we go through the neural circuitry, there is a sense of detecting um, and acting, etc. And if we think about what's happening in the brain, there are certain areas of the brain that actually um, encourage passivity. And um, there's lots of different circuitry that does seem to mediate learned helplessness. Helplessness. Um, but what they found is the dorsal raphi nucleus seems to be a, a mediator, if you like, as in it seems to be implicated um, when we receive, for instance, inescapable shock. Um, it inhibits certain function in certain areas and the um, the particular structure of the dorsal raphi nucleus seems to project inhibiting one area and potentiating another when it's activated. So basically it's activating one element and shutting down another. If we can train ourselves 
then uh, what we're doing is we're uh, kicking off another area of the brain that's actually encouraging us to challenge our thinking. Um, and that's where that um, medial prefrontal cortex comes in, which, as many of you will know, is a part of the brain that's really um, linked to, as I say, self-regulation, decision-making, etc. Now, I think it's really important to understand that because, yes, we can condition helplessness, but if that's our default, then really what we need to do is condition or learn to challenge our thinking, to really explore what we can do to continually create a pathway between the ventromedial prefrontal cortex and the dorsal raphi pathway that can come to expect that we have some sort of control. So default passivity could be one thing, but then compensating by the expectation of control could have substantial implications for how to deal with adversity or how to treat depression. So I think, I don't know about you, I think that's really interesting that, um, as I say, we might see in headlines debunked, but they debunked it themselves, if you like, so it's not really debunked. It's just how research continues to um, play out. It's how, it's the point of research is continuing to test hypotheses, to, to continue to explore. And of course, back in 1967, we didn't have um, the neuroscience element uh, that we could look at and the the technology, if you like, to explore what was going on in the brain. Um, we do now. And if we think about the theory of the explanatory style, um, you think about optimism and hope. Hope is about the habit of ex expecting that future bad events will not be permanent, pervasive and uncontrollable, that they will be temporary, local and controllable. So if we think about those expectations creating a natural defense against helplessness, we can speculate that we are perhaps building or firing a pathway between the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, the dorsal raphi nucleus, which creates a circuit that could be, as Martin Seligman talks about, as a hope circuit. But I thought I'd build on that as well with additional research that's um, been going on also from a neuroscience perspective um, about the serotonin um, implications, if you like, in uh, mediating this sort of learned helplessness and poor escape responding, etc. And um, what they found is interesting. Um, and this is using little mice um, that are not necessarily... Um, uh, electrocuted if you like um, but there is a little bit of a shock on their tail etc what's really interesting is that they found that free will running prevented um, or supported uh, learned learned optimism so it prevented learned helplessness supported learned optimism so it seemed to be that if the if the little mouse was uh, able to run, um, it would keep running rather than um, sedentary rats who didn't have the opportunity to actually run. So there seems to be something with the serotonin um, and the importance of that role in the um, dorsal raphi nucleus that seems to be playing out. So I'm not suggesting that we all start running. Um, but again, if rats can feel they've got some control by jumping on their little uh, wheel, then maybe 
we as human beings can learn something from that. What can we do to take control, to do something when adversity hits? We know the dorsal raphae nucleus is... um, has a role in reward-seeking behavior. So automatically, by taking control of something, do we get that reward hit? Do we get the sense, well, okay, I'm doing something, so it makes me feel better. I get that hit, that means I'm more likely to continue doing it. So I always like to think about what can I learn from the research? Well, way back when I read Learned Optimism um, and I started putting this in practice myself, I already felt the benefits. So being able to challenge my thinking, being able to uh, pick myself up and rethink and flip my thinking on a regular basis has been really helpful for me. I don't know if it's helpful for you, but I hope if you practice it, you can test. But the thing that I also know is when I think about what's traditionally called the control model or the uh, model of influence or whatever people like to call it, um, we always know that there are things we can't control, things we can influence and things we can control. And the research from neuroscience tells us that if I focus on the things I can control, then I am more likely to get a better outcome, as in I'm going to feel better. And this is where the um, uh, serotonin comes in. So I'm going to feel better. But we now know in a lot more detail why that is. It's because that when I focus on the things I can control, it's almost as if I'm getting rewarded for that behavior. Um, As I say, I think this is really interesting. Maybe I'm just rambling and you're not so sure. Um, But have a read. I mean, the book, as I say, is is old now. Um, But have a look. There's a paper that's called Learned Helplessness at 50. Um, So have a look at it. Have a read and see what it means for you. For me, research is only ever as good as what I can do with it. And personally, even though... um, you know, people are going to challenge and some people may not understand the research. For me, if I can use it and it makes my life better, why wouldn't I? And this in particular, it doesn't harm anybody else, but enables me to challenge my thinking so that I can deal with adversity much more easily. And I can perhaps then turn up as the best version of myself and support others to do the same. I hope that was an interesting little rundown of my my waffle and ramblings. Um, And if there is anything more that you would like to know, please uh, shoot me a little message and more than happy to uh, answer any questions or send you any papers that you might be interested in. Um, But I hope you enjoyed today's reflections on our Learn with Sue Walk and Talk podcast on learned optimism. And I will see you again on a future session. But if you would like more conversations with myself directly, our live session, our expert in conversations, uh, a whole range of courses that we have on the portal, research reviews and much, much more. Please check us out at learnwithsue.com.au and consider becoming a member of our global learning community. We're here to support you to be the best we can be. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you again soon.